chapter 28, verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know that your servant, no, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him at Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I might go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Morning. It's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be here this morning. It's a fairly lovely day, is it not? I was trying to have an attitude of gratitude because God does spoil me. And we were trying to think of uh, things that we can be grateful for this morning in our class. And of course, um, they all come to me a lot more readily once the coffee kicks in, but that's just a personal issue. Anyway, um, it is great to have you all here today. Um, great that we've got uh, our college students back, at least for right now. I imagine, I don't know, I, I should know. Yes, they're going to be here for a while. I knew that. Anyway, um, and you can go to camp if you want, Fred. I will vouch for you. you I'll be your counselor. Yeah, I'll totally do that for you. And... Uh, Thanks to everyone who's doing uh, things uh, outside of the church building, uh, the sacred church building. Uh, appreciate the pose for putting together the thing on uh, Memorial Day. And if I don't sign up, I have signed up. Linda's on that. But we're signed up. And thanks to everybody who's doing uh, VBS. I hope everyone will come for that. It's a, a good way to show God's love to the children of the community. And we do need time that we fellowship. You know, that's an act of worship, right? Fellowshipping, spending time with your brothers and sisters, creating friends. Yeah, that's good. So I hope you guys will be there for that. So this morning we are in 1 Samuel. Gone the wrong way. There we go. Uh, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And this is an interesting uh, story that's going on right here. Um, Paul has got uh, forces, well, I guess that's a scripture you guys already read that, or Bob did. Paul has 
Saul has forces arrayed against him. Saul, as you may know, is the king of Israel, appointed by God. He's God's man. He's the one that God chose and that was anointed to be God's king over his people. But Saul has made a a few mistakes. We're going to look at one of them later, but the the chief mistake is in uh, chapter 15. Um, I'll just pop to that real quick, but we're not going to read it right now. Saul was supposed to destroy everything uh, that he found among the Amalekites, and he didn't do that. He heard God's command, and he said, you know what, I've got a better idea. And... um, That was a serious split between him and God, is that as God's man, he was supposed to follow God's orders. We're studying Joshua in our Sunday morning class that we have there, and Joshua took all of the land that was promised to God's people. No problem. All he had to do was exactly what God said, no more, no less. Every time God said, destroy a city, destroy the city. Every time he says, Hang the king, hang the king. And this all sounds like, well, this isn't, this isn't a loving God. Well, God has his reasons for doing things. And sometimes when the evil gets bad enough, there are no other options but for God to strike the evil. And we have to remember, while God's a loving God, God also does not like when there's evil in his land and among his people. And that's where we find ourselves right now. This is uh, roughly between the Sea of Galilee and uh, the Dead Sea, kind of the uh, little bit north of what would later be Jerusalem. And Saul has a problem on his hands. He's being attacked by the Philistines, but who, guess who's fighting on the side of the Philistines? David. That ain't good. David is obviously... God's man too. And the whole reason Saul doesn't, or Saul doesn't like David is because it seems like God is ready to replace Saul with David. And so Saul, instead of doing anything that would be called for, he could have said, God, what can I do? He could have repented. He, there's a million things that he could have done. Or he simply could have said, you know what? This is what I get. I understand. I'll take God's punishment. I don't get to be his man anymore. He could have done any of those things, but instead, he decides, I'm going to kill David. And so now David is fighting on the side of the Philistines. This is not a good situation. They're coming up from the uh, south. As you can see, the red lines they are coming up from the southwest, heading... uh, toward uh, the hill of Moray and Shunem. And of course, you have to go through Megiddo, the mountain pass. Um, And they're coming to attack Saul's army. And Saul is afraid. And he's asking God, God, what should I do? This is, by the way, the wrong time to be asking God, God, what should I do? Because God already told him what to do. And he didn't do it. And so Saul seeks out the prophets. 
Are there any prophets of God? No prophets have anything for him. Saul receives no dreams from God to tell him what he should do. He goes to the chief priest and he says, cast the, the dice, the umim and the thumim. We don't know what they look like. They might have just been a black stone and a white stone. We don't know. But they're part of the priestly robe. And whenever there were questions to ask of God, they would basically roll the dice or throw the stones, which we have an example of in Acts when they were trying to decide who should be the, the new 12th apostle. Anyway, he goes into the priest and says, look, you've got to give me some kind of answer from God on what I should do. He's getting no answers. God is silent. What do you do when God is silent? I've had times in my life where I felt like God was silent. I felt like, you know what? I feel like I'm doing everything I should do, and yet I'm afraid. Nothing's working out. Or there are people in this world who aren't Christians, and they walk around with this sense of dread. And, and you try to cover the sense of dread, that sense of fear with things that make you happy, right? I'm just going to keep going from thing that makes me happy to thing that makes me happy to thing that makes me happy. I'm going to distract myself by the world. And hopefully, this crushing sense of dread will go away. And that doesn't work. But that is a popular thing to do in this world. And I imagine it's been that way for all the time that man has been out of the garden. Is we, I just want to busy myself going from thing to thing because I'm afraid and I don't know what to do. And so Saul, God's anointed king, finds himself in this same position. And God won't talk to him. I can imagine him going up to the chief priest. Roll the umim. Do something. I need an answer. Give me something. There's nothing. So Saul... Instead of taking God's silence as an answer, he decides to go to Endor. Not that Endor. This Endor. This is a zoom out of the map that we had looked at earlier. Um, and we're going to slowly zoom in closer and closer so you can see where the battle took place. It's in this general area. This is the the hill of Endor that uh, we're looking at here. Not as foresty as the one in Return of the Jedi, um, but nice all the same. And he goes to find a medium. Well, here's the thing. A medium or a necromancer, um, they're people that call upon the dead. They hold seances. We still have people like this today, do we not? People who can call on the spirits of those who have passed. But in this case, she really was doing it. He calls, he wants to call on a medium, but the problem is Saul had kicked out all the mediums. The media, he had kicked out all the mediums from the land because he did part of what God told him to do. So now he finds himself, the, one of the, the few good things Saul does, 
Saul, Saul is now going to undo, because although he's kicked all mediums out of the land, he's going to go consult one himself. And that brings us to verse 9. So Saul disguised himself, and he put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman, the medium, by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. I want, to, I want you to bring someone back from the dead for me. The woman said to him, you must know what Saul has done. How he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Are you trying to get me killed? Anyone who does sorcery or necromancy is going, going to be killed. But Paul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. That's the thing about when we decide to make a bad decision. When we decide to make a decision, that sounds right. When we make a bad decision, and this is something you're going to see with Saul again and again, and you may see it in your own life. You go for a bad decision and things don't work out. What do you do? Just double down. When he got there, the woman said, don't you know what Saul did? Saul's in disguise, of course. And Saul could have, at that point, said, you're right, what am I doing? What am I doing? But instead, he doubles down. And he says, as Jehovah is my witness... No harm will come to you. And adds more sin. She says, okay. Who do you want me to bring up for you? Verse 11, he said, bring up Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, had always had something to say for Saul. So if God's not going to give Saul something, Saul's going to go get it. He can't make the umim and the thumim give him any information. He's not getting anything by dreams. None of the other prophets are working. So he's going to use necromancy and get Samuel to talk to him. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman said to Saul, why did you lie to me? You're Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. Just tell me what you see. And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what does he look like? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Let's keep reading. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and won't answer me anymore, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me, what should I do? Samuel said, why then do you, do you ask me if the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, which we looked at. A little bit earlier. 
For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Furthermore, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me in the afterlife. The, the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Not looking too good for Saul. Saul had a lot of decisions he could have made at that point. Again, he could have accepted God's judgment. He could have tried to find some way to bring God to forgive him. This is not something new if you know anything about God. We'll look at that here in a second. Now, the next chapter uh, in Samuel is almost exactly the same as 1 Chronicles chapter 10. But the reason given in 1 Chronicles chapter 10 is a little more complete than the one we find here in 1 Samuel. So let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. And if you want to compare those later, you'll find how much they are extremely similar, almost word for word up until a few verses in. We'll find out what happens to Saul. God's prophecy will come true. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan, his son, and Abinadab, and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died. This is how Saul died. He and his three sons and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Everything that Samuel said was true. Is it, was this always going to be? Or was it because Saul sought out the medium? Or is it all just a pattern of choices that Saul is making? Saul's made bad choices in the past, and every time he makes a bad choice, he makes another bad choice to try to make up for the previous bad choice. 
And then he makes another bad choice to try to make up for that bad choice. And then he makes another bad choice to try to make up for that bad choice. And at the end, the worst choice he makes is he ends up killing himself. That's the end of Saul's choice making. It all started with one little choice. I know what God told me, but I've got a better idea. And when the error was brought up to him, he didn't back down, he dug in deeper. And then he finds himself surrounded by enemies, incoming due, and he says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. What should I do? And so he makes another bad decision. I can relate to this. I've been here. Some of you may be here right now. I hope we can learn, I hope you can learn Saul's lesson in an easier manner than I have. I hope definitely you can learn Saul's lesson in an easier manner than he did. Because in the end, he was disgraced. His whole family was killed. His whole house was wiped out. And the Philistines came and lived in the cities that he swore to protect. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. The enemies of God have won this day. Spread the good news. They took Saul's head and his armor, and they put his armor, verse 10, in the temple of their gods, and they fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. But when all Jabesh-Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, that's all the warriors, arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, minus, of course, Saul's head, and brought them to Jabesh. And there they buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Fasting seven days, by the by, is just what you do for a man of God who has passed. He gets an honorable burial and an honorable seven-day fast, even though he killed himself. And here's the analysis, and this is a little more complete than what you'll find in Samuel. So Saul died for his breach of faith. Saul died for his breach of faith. What was his breach of faith? His breach of faith was, God told me this, but I've got a better idea. But there was more than one breach of faith. His whole life from that point on was breaches of faith. God told him, this is what I want. And Saul said, I don't want that. That doesn't work for me. That was his breach of faith. Thinking he could outmaneuver God? 
thinking he could outsmart God? So many people who call themselves Christians live lives where they say, yeah, I'm, I believe, I've been baptized, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, I go to church, I do good things for God, but I can't do this one thing. I can't do it. I can't do that. I mean, come on, right? Don't, don't be crazy. I can't do that. I know a lot of people, and I was one of those people. I'll do everything you want, but surely you can't expect me to do that. In this case, what solves that, first of all, after he tried to outmaneuver God, was God said, I need you to give up the throne. And he says, I can't do that. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Notice what it says there? It doesn't say, so Saul committed suicide. It says, God put him to death. God let him go. It's a fearful thing when you break faith with God and God lets you go. Because over and over in the Bible, it shows that God will do that. If you refuse, if you harden your heart toward God, He will let you go. And in this case, he let Saul get to the point where he killed himself. If you were Saul on that mountain that day, surrounded by enemies, your troops are fleeing. You've got no one. It's you and your sons. And you've been wounded by an archer. You know you're going to die. Everything has come unraveled. Don't you wish you could just go back to that day? Just go back to that day. Man, I wish I could just go back to that day when God said, kill the king and destroy all the livestock. I wish I had just done what God said. But no, not only did he not do that, he kept making mistake after mistake. But he should know the character of God. And this is another place where Saul broke faith, as he failed to know who the Lord is. All the way back to Exodus. Turn to Exodus 34. When God's giving the commandments to His people. And this is something repeated again and again and again and again and again throughout the Bible. Verse 4, so Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first tablet, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He doesn't have just a special one or two. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He forgives when you do something wrong to yourself, when you do something wrong to your neighbor, or when you do something wrong to him. He forgives those things. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's pretty heavy. I don't know. That just sounds pretty dim. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that. That's, that's probably some archaic language. I'm not sure if that's the God we have today. Okay, God's always the same. God's always been the same. If this is hard for you to take, take it up with God. God is merciful, loving, faithful, and eager to forgive, but he will punish the guilty, and it won't just affect them. In Saul's case, it affected him, his sons, his presumable grandchildren, and other people. That's the reality of sin. But again and again, there are times where it shows how eager to forgive God is. Let's look at Jonah. Chapter 4. I love Jonah, the book. I can relate to this man. He goes and he preaches to the worst people on earth. It's like he's going to Nazi Germany and preaching to Hitler himself. It's that bad. It's like, I don't want to go preach God's word to Hitler. I'm scared. And Jonah's worst fear comes true in chapter 4. The king of Nineveh, the worst person in the world, destroyer of nations, torturer of his enemies, slaughterer of women and children, enslaver of men, repents, as does the whole country. And Jonah does not like that. But it dis this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. These people deserve to be crushed. Do you not know what they've done? These are the worst people in the history of the world. Who cares if they repent? They deserve to be crushed. God, why are you forgiving them? And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I was quick to flee to Tarshish. Because I know that you're a gracious God and you're merciful. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love and you back off from disaster. Jonah knew what kind of God God is. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Is this really what you want to do? Is this really? 
Even Jonah knew that the worst people on earth, if they would repent, he knows what kind of God he serves, that God will relent from his punishment. That's who God is. And that's why he didn't want to go there. He wanted God to crush the Assyrians. And God said, no. That's who I am. Let's look at one more example. Although there are lots of examples, let's go to Joel chapter 2. Verses 10 through 13. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. God's punishment is coming, in other words. The Lord utters His voice in front of His army because His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Who's going to survive the day of the Lord? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And don't tear your clothes to show how sorry you are. Tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, because He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. Saul knew what kind of God he was serving, and if he didn't, it's because even though God chose him, he didn't choose God back. He didn't choose to know the Lord. The Bible doesn't say understand who the Lord is. It doesn't say understand what the Lord can do. It says know the Lord. Know Him. And that means know as in the, deep, the deepest level. Better than you know your, your wife or your husband. Better than you know your best friend or your parents or your kids. Know the Lord. It's about your relationship with Him. And if you know the Lord, then you know you never have a better idea than God has. Whatever God says to do, you just do it. And if you fail to do it, Stop making other bad decisions to cover up for the first one. And then, and then, and then, and then, and you end up like Saul. Putting your own sword through your own chest. And you think, well, I, I, can, I, probably, I, I can't really see. Yeah, everybody can get there. How many people do you know who used to walk with God? You think you're immune? You think you're better? You think you're special? Pride goes before the fall. You're not special in that way. Even if you're God's chosen king, you can still get to a point where you stop knowing God and you start getting your own better ideas. 
follow, will end with the section in 1 Samuel with Paul's or Saul's original sin, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is quoted in other passages in the Bible. But we'll start in verse 20. This is after the, uh, the defeat of the Amalekites. And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites, Amalekites, let me try that again, Amalekites to destruction. But it was the people. They took the, the, the treasure and the sheep and the auction, the best of the things devoted to destruction to the sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. See, they took the stuff and they only took it because they wanted to offer you the greatest sacrifice ever. Isn't that awesome? I did everything you said, but the people had an idea to offer a really great sacrifice. Also be a pretty good party, let's be honest. It's a lot of... It's a lot of meat, it's a lot of treasure. It would have been a great party. But it was the people's idea, and that seemed like a great idea to me. I did everything God asked me to do. It was the people, and you know you know how the people are? You can't me expect me to resist all those people, right? Plus, it is a really good idea. Saul was always afraid of the people, going against the people. And Samuel says to Saul, does the Lord have great delight? Does He really love burnt offerings that much? You think God needs your burnt offerings? You think that is what, what God wants from you? Does God take as much delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices as He does in those who obey the voice of the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. Here's the curious part of this that links back to what he did at Endor. Because rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is when you try to use mystic powers to come up with an answer. You shouldn't have to come up with an answer from mystic powers if you know the Lord, you know His commandments. Rebellion is the same as the sin of divination, and presuming is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. This is the point at which Saul's life starts to spiral downward because Saul doesn't do the right thing. God has made a pronouncement, but does he not know who God is? God's always quick to relent for those who will repent. And yet Saul just keeps coming up with more and more ideas, and the more ideas he comes up with, the more afraid he becomes. And the more afraid he becomes, the more bad decisions he starts making to try to cope with that. And the more bad decisions he makes the more afraid he becomes until it all spirals out of control and he ends up killing himself. 
all of us at some point are on that path in life. Some of you may be farther on that path than others. No matter where you are on that path, the answer is always the same. Repent. Repent. What does repent mean? It means stop doing what you're doing and start doing what God said. I know things aren't working out the way you wanted them to, but that was never part of the deal. Things don't work out the way you want them to. They work out the way God wills. You can't outmaneuver Him. You can't outsmart Him. The only thing you can do is bow before Him. That's it. Don't waste your life. Don't suffer the misery, the increasing misery, to the point where dying by a sword sounds like a better idea than continuing to live. Just stop right now. Get on your knees and repent and say, God, please forgive me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just forgive me. If you can't do that, then you're already lost, just like all the other people that we don't see anymore. God is gracious and merciful, but He does also punish the guilty. Saul was God's chosen one, and now you're God's chosen one. God is saying the same thing, follow my commands. And I know you've messed up, but you can always repent. And God relents. I'm asking you this morning to repent. Change what you're doing. Throw yourself on the mercy of the court of the Most High. If you would like to repent this morning, or if you'd like to repent of all your sins and become a Christian, would you please come forward while we stand and while we sing this song?